Chapter Thirty of the Coral Island. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. The Coral Island by R. M. Ballantyne. Chapter Thirty: The Voyage, the Island, and a Consultation in which Danger is Scouted as a Thing Unworthy of Consideration. Rats and Cats. The Native Teacher. Awful revelations. Wonderful effects of Christianity. Our voyage during the next two weeks was most interesting and prosperous. The breeze continued generally fair and at all times enabled us to lie our course. For being, as I have said before, clipper built, the pirate schooner could lie very close to the wind and make little leeway. We had no difficulty now in managing our sails, for Jack was heavy and powerful, while Peterkin was active as a kitten. Still, however, we were a very insufficient crew for such a vessel, and if any one had proposed to us to make such a voyage in it before we had been forced to go through so many hardships from necessity, we would have turned away with pity from the individual making such a proposal as from a madman. I pondered this a good deal and at last concluded that men do not know how much they are capable of doing till they try, and that we should never give way to despair in any undertaking, however difficult it may seem, always supposing, however, that our cause is a good one, and that we can ask the divine blessing on it. Although, therefore, we could now manage our sails easily, we nevertheless found that my pulleys were of much service to us in some things, though Jack did laugh heartily at the uncouth arrangement of ropes and blocks, which had to a sailor's eye a very lumbering and clumsy appearance. But I will not drag my reader through the details of this voyage. Suffice it to say, after an agreeable sail of about three weeks, we arrived off the island of Mango, which I recognized at once from the description that the pirate Bill had given me of it during one of our conversations. As soon as we came within sight of it, we hove the ship to and held a council of war. "'Now, boys,' said Jack, as we seated ourselves beside him on the cabin skylight, "'before we go further in this business we must go over the pros and cons of it, for although you have so generously consented to stick by me through thick and thin, it would be unfair did I not see that you thoroughly understand the danger.' of what we are about to attempt. "'Oh, bother the danger!' cried Peterkin. "'I wonder to hear you, Jack, talk of danger. When a fellow begins to talk about it he'll soon come to magnify it to such a degree that he'll not be fit to face it when it comes, no more than a sucking baby.' "'Nay, Peterkin,' replied Jack gravely, "'I won't be jested out of it. I grant you that when we once resolved to act—' and have made up our minds what to do, we should think no more of danger, but before we have so resolved it behoves us to look it straight in the face and examine into it and walk round it, for if we flinch at a distant view we're sure to run away when the danger is near. Now I understand from you, Ralph, that the island is inhabited by thoroughgoing out-and-out cannibals, whose principal law is might is right, and the weakest goes to the wall? 
"'Yes,' said I, so Bill gave me to understand. He told me, however, that at the southern side of it the missionaries had obtained a footing amongst an insignificant tribe. A native teacher had been sent there by the Wesleyans, who had succeeded in persuading the chief at that part to embrace Christianity. But instead of that being of any advantage to our enterprise, it seems the very reverse, for the chief Taro is a determined heathen, and persecutes the Christians, who are far too weak in numbers to offer any resistance, and looks with disdain upon all white men, whom he regards as propagators of the new faith. "'Tis a pity,' said Jack, "'that the Christian tribe is so small, for we shall scarcely be safe under their protection, I fear. If Taro takes it into his head to wish for our vessel, or to kill ourselves, he could take us from them by force.' You say that the native missionary talks English? So I believe. Then what I propose is this, said Jack. We will run round to the south side of the island and cast anchor off the Christian village. We are too far away just now to have been described by any of the savages, so we shall get there unobserved and have time to arrange our plans before the heathen tribes know of our presence. But in doing this, we run the risk of being captured by the ill-disposed tribes, and being very ill-used, if not, um... "'Roasted alive and eaten!' cried Peterkin. "'Come, out with it, Jack. According to your own showing, it's well to look the danger straight in the face.' "'Well, that is the worst of it, certainly. Are you prepared, then, to take your chance of that?' "'I've been prepared and had my mind made up long ago,' cried Peterkin, swaggering about the deck with his hands thrust into his breeches' pockets. "'The fact is, Jack, I don't believe that Taro will be so ungrateful as to eat us, and I'm quite sure that he'll be too happy to grant us whatever we ask, so the sooner we go in and win, the better.' Peterkin was wrong, however, in his estimate of savage gratitude, as the sequel will show. The schooner was now put before the wind, and after making a long run to the southward we put about and beat up for the south side of Mango, where we arrived before sunset, and hove to off the coral reef. Here we awaited the arrival of a canoe, which immediately put off on our rounding to. When it arrived a mild-looking native of apparently forty years of age came on board and taking off his straw hat made us a low bow. He was clad in a respectable suit of European clothes, and the first words he uttered as he stepped up to Jack and shook hands with him were, "'Good day, gentlemen. We are happy to see you at Mango. You are heartily welcome.' After returning his salutation, Jack exclaimed, "'You must be the native missionary teacher of whom I have heard. Are you not?' "'I am. I have the joy to be a servant of the Lord Jesus at this station.' "'You're the very man I want to see, then,' replied Jack. "'That's lucky. Come down to the cabin, friend, and have a glass of wine. I wish particularly to speak with you. My men there,' pointing to Peterkin and me, "'will look after your people.' "'Thank you,' said the teacher, as he followed Jack to the cabin. "'I do not drink wine or any strong drink.' "'Oh, then there's lots of water, and you can have biscuit.' "'Now,' "'Pon my word, that's cool,' 
said Peterkin, his men forsooth. Well, since we are to be men, we may as well come it as strong over these black chaps as we can. Hello there, he cried to the half-dozen of natives who stood upon the deck, gazing in wonder at all they saw. Here's for you, and he handed them a tray of broken biscuit and a can of water. Then, thrusting his hands into his pockets, he walked up and down the deck with an enormous swagger, whistling vociferously. In about half an hour Jack and the teacher came on deck, and the latter, bidding us a cheerful good evening, entered his canoe and paddled to the shore. When he was gone Peterkin stepped up to Jack, and touching his cap said, "'Well, Captain, have you any communications to make to your men?' "'Yes,' cried Jack, ready about, mind the helm, and clew up your tongue, while I con the schooner through the passage in the reef. The teacher, who seems a first-rate fellow, says it's quite deep and good anchorage within the lagoon close to the shore. While the vessel was slowly advancing to her anchorage under a light breeze, Jack explained to us that Avate was still on the island, living amongst the heathens, that she had expressed a strong desire to join the Christians, but Taro would not let her, and kept her constantly in close confinement. Moreover, continued Jack, I find that she belongs to one of the Samoan islands, where Christianity had been introduced long before her capture by the heathens of a neighboring island, and the very day after she was taken she was to have joined the church which had been planted there by that excellent body the London Missionary Society. The teacher tells me, too, that the poor girl has fallen in love with a Christian chief who lives on an island some fifty miles or so to the south of this one, and that she is meditating a desperate attempt at escape. So, you see, we have come in the nick of time. I fancy that this chief is the fellow whom you have heard of, Ralph, at the island of Emo. Besides all this, the heathen savages are at war among themselves, and there's to be a battle fought the day after tomorrow, in which the principal leader is Taro, so that we'll not be able to commence our negotiations with the rascally chief till the day after. The village off which we anchored was beautifully situated at the head of a small bay, from the margin of which trees of every description peculiar to the tropics rose in the richest luxuriance to the summit of a hilly ridge, which was the line of demarcation between the possessions of the Christians and those of the neighboring heathen chief. The site of the settlement was an extensive plot of flat land stretching in a gentle slope from the sea to the mountain. The cottages stood several hundred yards from the beach, and were protected from the glare of the sea by the rich foliage of rows of large Barringtonia and other trees which girt the shore. The village was about a mile in length and perfectly straight, with a wide road down the middle on either side of which were rows of the tufted top tea-tree, whose delicate and beautiful blossoms hanging beneath their plumed crested tops added richness to the scene. The cottages of the natives were built beneath these trees, and were kept in the most excellent order, each having a little garden in front, tastefully laid out and planted, while the walks were covered with black and white pebbles. Every house had doors and Venetian windows, painted partly with lamp black made from the candle-nut, and partly with red ochre, 
which contrasted powerfully with the dazzling coral line that covered the walls. On a prominent position stood a handsome church, which was quite a curiosity in its way. It was a hundred feet long by fifty broad, and was seated throughout to accommodate upwards of two thousand persons. It had six large folding doors and twelve windows with Venetian blinds, and although a large and substantial edifice, it had been built, we were told by the teacher, in the space of two months. There was not a single iron nail in the fabric, and the natives had constructed it chiefly with their stone and bone axes and other tools, having only one or two axes or tools of European manufacture. Everything around this beautiful spot wore an aspect of peace and plenty, and as we dropped our anchor within a stone's cast of the substantial coral wharf, I could not avoid contrasting it with the wretched village of Emo, where I had witnessed so many frightful scenes. When the teacher afterwards told me that the people of this tribe had become converts only a year previous to our arrival, and that they had been living before that in the practice of the most bloody system of idolatry, I could not refrain from exclaiming, What a convincing proof that Christianity is of God! On landing from our little boat we were received with a warm welcome by the teacher and his wife, the latter being also a native, clothed in a simple European gown and a straw bonnet. The shore was lined with hundreds of natives, whose persons were all more or less clothed with native cloth. Some of the men had on a kind of poncho formed of this cloth, their legs being uncovered, others wore clumsily fashioned trousers, and no upper garment except hats made of straw and cloth. Many of the dresses, both of women and men, were grotesque enough being very bad imitations of the European garb, but all wore a dress of some sort or other. They seemed very glad to see us, and crowded round us as the teacher led the way to his dwelling, where we were entertained in the most sumptuous manner, on baked pig and all the varieties of fruits and vegetables that the island produced. We were much annoyed, however, by the rats. They seemed to run about the house like domestic animals. As we sat at table one of them peeped up at us over the edge of the cloth, close to Peterkin's elbow, who floored it with a blow on the snout from his knife, exclaiming as he did so, "'I say, Mr. Teacher, why don't you set traps for these brutes? Surely you are not fond of them.' "'No,' replied the teacher with a smile, "'we would be glad to get rid of them if we could. But if we were to trap all the rats on the island it would occupy our whole time.' "'Are they then so numerous?' inquired Jack. They swarm everywhere. The poor heathens on the north side eat them and think them very sweet. So did my people formerly, but they do not eat so many now, because the missionary who was last here expressed disgust at it. The poor people asked if it was wrong to eat rats, and he told them that it was certainly not wrong, but that the people of England would be much disgusted were they asked to eat rats.' 